Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Tuesday, November 12th. And as always, thanks for joining me. On today's show, we will be talking with Blazers play-by-play announcer and NL sports guy John Keane. Kamloops went 3-0 over the course of the long weekend, scoring wins over the Seattle Thunderbirds, the Medicine Hat Tigers, and the Kelowna Rockets. Let's listen to Keener here for just uh, one quick second. Ryan Hughes after a puck here. Blazers are going to, well, they're going to stop a clearing attempt. Nice play here. Franklin's on a top right circle. Still some time to work here. Franklin, down the pass. Still a body there. Santazzo feeds it back to Franklin here. Back to Santazzo. Yes, the Blazers improved to 4-0 on the season when taking on the rival Rockets after a 5-2 win yesterday afternoon. John had some interesting comments on Twitter when it comes to that talking about how uh, perhaps not winning the Memorial Cup bid for this season is helping to uh, fuel some of the fire when these two teams meet for the Blazers. Uh, the weekend wasn't without some concern, though, as winger Kyrill Sopotic was rocked yesterday afternoon and had to leave the game. Uh, he was injured in the first period yesterday after a dangerous hit from Rockets forward Pavel Novak. Uh, here was head coach Sean Cluston on the injury here on on the NL News, uh, NL News with Howie Reimer this morning. Yeah, no, I don't think he's doing great. We'll find out lots more today. Um, basically, his, his, his shoulder popped out and it didn't go back in until Toledo, uh, Colin Robinson, our trainer, got to him on the ice. So, um, usually, yeah, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, so, was, you know, so I, I hope I'm not way off on this, but usually in today's uh, game, uh, when that happens, uh, you know, you're looking at close to two months what they try to do is, is rehab it takes a lot I mean it's a very painful process things get really pulled and stretched and and then there's usually a lot of pain involved in the next little while and then and then there's rehab um, like you know 20 years ago maybe you just kind of after a few days tried to play again but very risky for the shoulder popping out again um, today what they try to do is, is give it lots of time with the rehab hopefully everything strengthens and, and tightens back up so that you know you're, you're close to normal but if, if, it, if it goes out again usually what happens is they suggest surgery so i mean they you know like off-season surgery or something so i think i think we're gonna i think we're gonna miss it for a while so it doesn't sound like great news for winger Kyrill Sabatek, but uh, the good news is the Blazers did score a win, and with those three wins over the course of the weekend, they're now 13-6 and six on the season, sitting in first place in the BC division. So I'll be joined by John Keane to end off today's show and get a breakdown of those last three contests. To kick off the back half of today's show, I will be joined by Bethany Lindsay and Andrew Weichel. Uh, they're a pair of reporters in the province, and they co-wrote the book Everything British Columbia, The Ultimate Book of Lists. So they will be joining me to talk about their experience when putting this together, uh, it's a pretty interesting read. Basically, uh, you know, pretty self-explanatory when it comes to the title. Uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about different things that have happened here in this province, it is a pretty helpful and interesting tool. 
It looks at everything from, you know, 10 mysterious murders in B.C., uh, 10 great women from the province, 10 outdated laws in British Columbia, uh, 8 actors who had a, a bad time while visiting here, 7 best ghost towns, 7 invasive species that we're now stuck dealing with, etc., uh, etc. Et so that's just a very, very brief synopsis of the kinds of things that you can learn all about in this book. So uh, definitely worth picking up and, uh, yeah, a good bathroom reader, if you will, because uh, you only need to sit down and read it for a minute or two to kind of break down some of the lists that you read here in this book. So definitely a quick way to learn quite a bit that you maybe haven't uh, learned about before when it comes to what's happening here in British Columbia. If you need some some useless trivia information, it's not a bad one and uh, definitely has some interesting tool, uh, tips and, and uh, lists in there as well. Um, so they'll join me in about 20 minutes to talk about their book and, and how they went about putting that all together. They did get some contributions from some pretty significant names as well. So we'll chat about how they were able to get in touch with people such as uh, David Suzuki and, and Biff Naked and more. So stick around for that. And my first guest today will be Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. She, of course, always joins me to, to uh, start the week. Um, let me just play a quick clip here from her. She, uh, she uh, has a new music video out, if you can believe it. You broke my heart and left me there to die. You told me 3.14 wasn't high. You left me, took my money, my dog too. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. You called the law and now I'm here in jail. Yeah, there you go. There's a little clip from the music video. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. What on earth is a lawyer doing making a music video? Well, I'll be talking to Kyla about that here in just a short while. Uh, we'll also be chatting here uh, about the Supreme Court of Canada case in regards to Uber. I spoke a little bit about this here on my show last week. Uh, BC lawyers helping to head up a class action lawsuit on behalf of Uber drivers in Ontario. Uh, there are concerns over the arbitration process, which is uh, agreed to in that 30-plus page user agreement that drivers sign on to when they agree to work for Uber. Uh, the arbitration process must be conducted in the Netherlands, where Uber has its international headquarters, and the base cost is about $19,000 Canadian. Uh, the face of the suit, David Heller earned between $21,000 and $31,000 per year. So uh, most of his money would have to go towards an arbitration uh, process if he wanted to kickstart that. Uber is seeking to overturn a lower court ruling uh, that has paved the way for Uber Eats driver David Heller, like I said, to file that class action lawsuit aimed at securing things like minimum wage, vacation pay, and other benefits for himself and other drivers as well. So there's a number of uh, uh, topics with, uh, within that lawsuit or within that uh, class action case. And uh, there's also an interesting article that I read over the weekend talking about dozens of legal cases that have been thrown out across Canada as a result of things like uh, police taking some action into their own hands. So I'll be chatting about all of that with Acumen. Law, well, Acumen Law's Kyla Lee after the break. So that'll be coming up after this. So stick around. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Tuesday, November 12th. And as always, thanks so much for tuning in. I'm joined now by my usual post-weekend guest, Kyla Lee. Kyla, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So before we get too deep into this, I just wanted to kind of start with the lighter side. I mean, I previewed this a little bit here in my intro before you came on. You made this music video, uh, Lawyer Told Me Not to Talk to You. So before you say anything, I just want to play a few seconds for those who haven't heard it. You broke my heart and left me there to die. You told me 3.14 wasn't high. You left me, took my money, my dog too. Lawyer told me not to talk to you. 
So that's just a little bit there of a, a two-minute song. Uh, Kyla, where did this come from? Like, I've seen the shirts and some other swag that you've put out around this whole lawyer told me not to talk to you saying, but this is sort of a, a whole nother level. So what led to this being put together here? Well, I mean, it's always hard to advise people about what they need to do when they're dealing with police. I get asked all the time, you know, what do I say if I'm asked if I've been drinking at a roadblock? What do I say if I've, I've been involved in a car accident and I fled the scene and, and police want to talk to me? And I mean, the answer is always don't talk to the police. But creating a, a way for people to remember how to convey to the police that they're not going to talk to them without revealing any information is really hard. So we came up with this phrase, lawyer told me not to talk to you. Um, and putting it on t-shirts and putting it in a song is a way to imprint it in people's minds so that they can remember the legal advice and they can use it and access it when they need it. Have you been getting any feedback when it comes to this uh, campaign? I mean, there's got to be some people who would uh, be a lot uh, pretty nervous when it, when it comes to just, you know, not talking at all when it comes to, to dealing with police. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of people think that it's rude. You know, as, as Canadians, we tend to be on the more polite side. And so uh, people are, are like, well, won't they think I'm rude if I tell them the lawyer told me not to talk to you? Like, it doesn't matter. You can be rude to the police and say that. Uh, it usually just shuts them up. So most of the feedback we've been getting has been positive. I think the negative feedback has been coming from police who usually want people to start talking. <laughs> Are, are there any negative connotations when it comes to not talking to police? I mean, like as Beth said there, there's obviously people like that are nervous about not saying anything when police are asking them questions to so sit there in silence. Like you mentioned, we feel it's rude or, or might feel it might um, somehow make things worse. Uh, are there cases where that could potentially happen? The only circumstance where you can get in trouble for not providing the information to police is where you're required to do so by law. So, for example, if you're pulled over by a police officer, you still have to give them your name, your address, insurance information, and the name and address of the registered owner of the vehicle. So there are certain circumstances where you have to give information to police. That information can only be used against you in a limited way, though. But beyond that, no, you, ha you have a right to silence and you can't be faulted for exercising that. Right. All right. Well, that leads actually kind of perfectly into one of the things that I wanted to talk about today. There was this article that came out over the weekend. On a, uh, the, the headline was basically dozens of cases have been thrown out as a result of, uh, you know, issues when it comes to how police have handled certain cases. Um, and in the article, it mentions uh, one specific case where um, a, a woman was, uh, you know, being, uh, I believe it was a woman off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly, but um, she was dealing with police. And uh, in order to sort of get some information out of her, um, you know, she was roughed up a little bit and eventually this case was thrown out as a result of, of the, the police action that was taken. So, I mean, are you hearing a lot of cases where things like this have happened, where, you know, police action, uh, whether it be maybe on the, the more brutal side, some, some police violence, where it has uh, led to a lot of cases being thrown out? Because this is something we hear a lot about in the States and when it comes to police violence, you know, big issues south of the border, but we don't hear about it as much here. So I'm just curious how uh, big of an issue it is, you know, from a lawyer perspective, do you hear about these kinds of cases quite often where things do get thrown out as a result of police action? We do hear about them a lot, and it's not always as extreme as, as police, you know, committing acts of violence against suspects, although that does happen a disturbingly high amount of the time. Um, I mean, once is unacceptable, but it happens a lot more than once. Um, 
we also see police resorting to methods that violate charter rights in other ways, conducting unlawful searches, deliberately violating the law to get information. Um, and we see that a lot in Canada. Uh, we've had in, in the last several years a number of, of high-profile cases where police actions have resulted in cases being thrown out entirely from court, including high-profile murder investigations. Do you think this is something that's happening, you know, kind of more or, or less? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious, Court, of what your thoughts are on the trend of this. Uh, I mean, it, I guess it comes down to uh, how well police have been trained and, and, you know, just how seriously they, they take the fact that they are upholding the law and whether they choose to, to go about, uh, you know, uh, enforcing the law in their own way, so to speak. Um, I mean, is this something that is happening more or less often, do you think, as time progresses? I do think that there is sort of an uptick uh, in, in police engaging in this type of behavior. And I think it largely has to do with the way that many cases are no longer going through the court system, whether it's because cases are getting thrown out for delay, whether it's because they're being diverted from the courts through other methods of resolving things. Police are less and less often asked to answer for their conduct when dealing with suspects. Um, and so they're more emboldened because they don't see the consequences of behaving badly play out in front of them. And that's a real shame. How difficult is that, uh, I guess, from a defense lawyer perspective to to convince a jury system that, uh, you know, police are doing wrong? Because uh, quite often we see, you know, the, the side of police is taken when it comes to the to the justice system. You know, they, they side with police who are trying to uphold the law. Is it is it a difficult thing to deal with when uh, you are trying to prove that police did something wrong? It's very difficult. There's a, a very high standard to prove police misconduct or, or what we call in the legal system bad faith on the part of police officers. You have to have significant evidence that compels either a jury or a judge to believe that that was what had occurred. You can't just allege it without any without any factual basis and without any evidence to back it up. Um, and so it does become very hard to prove this, particularly where you have situations where the police have acted badly and then have taken steps to cover up their actions. So usually, you know, a very effective cross-examination, good testimony from the person who was wronged, uh, those are the ways that this type of conduct is exposed. But there's inherent risks in, you know, necessarily any uh, circumstance where you have your client testifying in, in a trial. Um, it exposes them to cross-examination. So a lot of lawyers are reluctant to do that. Awesome. Well, I think it's important also to point out that, uh, you know, majority of police officers, I think, are, are good and, and are good at their jobs, but there's always a, a couple of bad apples that kind of spoil the whole message. So just a quick point out that, uh, you know, we're not crapping on all cops here, but uh, there are obviously a, a couple issues that, uh, uh, you know, have to be talked about. I'm here with Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Now, to kind of shift on from that, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about this class action suit involving Ontario Uber drivers. Uh, as I had mentioned uh, in the intro, Uber is seeking to overturn a lower court ruling that paved the way for Uber Eats driver David Heller, who's the, the face of this class action suit, who's aimed at securing minimum wage, vacation pay, and other benefits for himself and other drivers. And there's also a concern when it comes to the arbitration process as Uber does force ARB cases to be heard in the Netherlands, and you need to pay some $19,000 in order to kickstart that process. So, Kyla, maybe just to start off, uh, what do you think about this case and, and what kinds of potential ramifications does this have for ride-hailing in Canada, you know, as we're kind of waiting to see these services enter the BC market? 
Well, this case is important. We've seen similar lawsuits take place in different jurisdictions in the United States where Uber drivers are saying we're employees and not independent contractors and we should have all the rights and benefits that employees are conferred. And that's important because the gig economy system that has been developing since we've had more access to technology has been, in by and large, exploitative of the people who are relying on those uh, as a source of income. Um, so this, to some extent, levels the playing field. Um, but it also has the potential to have a chilling effect on companies providing these services here. Uh, if Uber is going to have to pay everybody minimum wage, provide benefits, vacation time, and, and all of the things that an employee is entitled to, um, then the model that they've set up might not be profitable enough for Uber, and we're seeing that in the United States. And Uber may decide not to launch in British Columbia or in markets where it doesn't uh, already um, uh, have an operation center, and it may even pull out of markets where it is already operating. Well, since you mentioned that, uh, you know, it could potentially change whether or not they actually launch here in BC, uh, I think it's probably an important question to ask. How long does a case like this typically take? I mean, we're talking to class action. That usually takes quite um, a number of years, generally speaking, from from my experience. Um, You know, how long does this potentially take? Because BC is looking to enter the market before the year is done. So I can't imagine this case would be solved before then. No, not likely. Um, Arguments were heard at the Supreme Court of Canada on sort of one issue um, at the beginning uh, of last week. And then we, of course, have to wait for the Supreme Court of Canada to decide, which will probably be within three to six months. And then their decision on that issue will affect what happens going forward with that case. So it's by no means done. And I expect that the case itself will probably go all the way back to the Supreme Court of Canada again when it comes to the ultimate determination that's been made. Now, this is a, a, a case that was filed on behalf of Ontario drivers. So, uh, when I mean, it is being heard uh, by the Supreme Court of Canada. So, when we're talking about, uh, you know, a, a, a class of Ontario Uber drivers, um, does this automatically have an effect across the country? Or is this, you know, potentially only impact Ontario? I'm just curious how, to, how this works. It would potentially only impact Ontario, but it has significant persuasive value across the country. What the Supreme Court of Canada is determining is whether or not it's valid to force people into going to arbitration in the Netherlands to determine employment law issues. And if the Supreme Court of Canada says you can't, um, then that's going to have as significant an impact in BC as it is in in Ontario. The law is not going to change on that point. Um, But if it's decided on more nuanced issues related to Ontario employment law, then it could have less of an impact. Impact, uh, on British Columbia or Alberta or any other province. And we'll have to see where the Supreme Court draws the line, if they do. Um, I have about uh, 30 seconds here left, Kyla, but just uh, curious on this as well. Do you hear a lot of situations where arbitration cases are forced to be heard in, in somewhere out of country? And does it usually cost, you know, nineteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to start that process? This is becoming increasingly common as we see large corporations have control over over workers or control over processes. You know, we see more uh, sort of globalization of, of companies. We see them using arbitration clauses. And the reason for that is that it's to the benefit of the company. It doesn't cost a company like Uber with billions of dollars much to pay $19,000 to have a case heard in the Netherlands. But for Mr. Heller or anybody like them, Uber can pretty much bank on the fact that they can't afford to do that. Never mind figure out the process to file a case in the Netherlands. And so it is designed and it is used by companies to prevent workers from having rights. Well, Kyla, unfortunately, that wraps up our time. But thanks, as always, for doing this. I always appreciate you taking the time to speak to me and uh, looking forward to doing it again next week. So thank you so much.
Thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Acumen Laws, Kai Lilly. Coming up after the break, how much do you know about BC? Well, there's a new book that can help you learn some new things that perhaps you didn't know before. I'll be chatting with the authors of that book after this. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk at RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show, and thank you so much for joining me here today. British Columbia, of course, a great place to live, work, and play, but how much do you know about this province and its history? Well, if someone asks, you know, where should I visit if I want to learn more about the crime that happened in BC, or what can you tell me about the Ogopogo? Can you answer those questions? Well, there's a new tool here that can help you to be able to respond to those kinds of inquiries. A book called Everything British Columbia is now available, and here to talk about it are the authors of this book, Bethany Lindsay and Andrew Weichel. Bethany, I'll start with you. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Jeff. Great to be here. And Andrew, thanks so much for uh, taking the time as well. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jeff. So let me just start by asking sort of why was this something that you guys wanted to work on? I want to hear from both of you. So let me just start with Bethany. I guess what was this project? What was it about this project that made you think, you know, this is something I want to put together? Well, you know, when uh, the publisher approached us with this idea, it just seemed like such a great way to kind of escape from what we do every day. Andrew and I are both journalists, and, and we write a lot of hard news. And this was kind of just a lot more fun, a, a way to kind of dig into the, the silly and interesting and serious all at once. Uh, what about for you, Andrew? Is there a you know, similar sort of uh, feeling for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, when the publisher pitched it, we decided to spend one evening brainstorming what kind of lists we'd like to read about in a book like this. And we came up with so many right off the bat, you know, like six B.C. riots that had nothing to do with hockey or 10 times exotic animals got on the loose in B.C. And it just seemed like a no brainer like a really fun project. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there's no shortage of stuff to talk about. I mean, when you guys first sat down to start thinking about some potential lists that you could put together, I guess, you know, how uh, how long of a piece of paper did you guys end up having by the time it was all said and done? Uh, well, I, I'd say in the beginning it was about two pages long of potential lists, and, and some of them we crossed off as we went because there wasn't as much material there. Um, but, you know, every time we got stuck and uh, we could we couldn't think of anything to do. We'd go up for drinks with friends and everybody had amazing ideas about things to do. Ideas like, you know, strange religions and cults in BC. Um, and that really helped refresh our, our list of lists. So uh, Andrew, I'll ask you, I guess, you know, when, when you started kind of to narrow things down in terms of what lists you guys wanted to to actually tackle and tell a little bit longer stories about. I mean, was it was there any point where it became difficult to uh, to, to, to narrow it down? There were just so many great ideas, or, or was it pretty simple for you guys to, to start crossing things off? Um, there was a pretty clear line between the list that we came up with at the beginning that were sort of less interesting. You know, you can kind of tell, like, oh, who really wants to read about, you know, this and that. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it was generally pretty pretty clear which ones we wanted to really dig into and which ones uh want to just pass on but yeah i mean uh, a lot of them too we would uh when we got stuck we would think about lists that contributors could uh could give to the book you know we used that to a lot of experts uh, a couple of pretty big names we got like david suzuki to do a list about um you know sort of big moments in dc's environmental movement we got rick hansen 
and even things like we got the UFO Society of BC to submit a list of their most credible UFO sightings from across the province. Yeah, I was uh, also including one that's in your neck of the woods, up by Jacko Lake. Oh yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, people are going to have to get the book if they want to learn a little bit more about all of that kind of stuff, right? So um, I did want to ask about uh, some of those bigger names that you guys did get. Like you had mentioned Rick Hansen. You mentioned David Suzuki. There's also uh, uh, Biff Naked. You know, there's, there's several other prominent names here that uh, have helped contribute to this book of lists. Uh, you know, when you were reaching out to some of these people, I mean, um, what, what sort of responses were you getting? Were they really excited to be a part of this and sort of wanting to help, uh, you know, inform the people of BC on, on maybe some topics they hadn't previously thought of? And, and even for the, the uh, you know, contributors themselves, maybe there was, uh, you know, they, they had a, a list of five and maybe it was difficult to put together a list of ten for some of these things. I mean, just sort of what were the conversations you guys were having with some of these more prominent contributors? Yeah, well, uh, it's funny. Most of the people were just eager to help and eager, eager to share what they knew. Uh, David Suzuki was kind of a funny one because uh, we emailed his office and we got a response saying, this sounds like exactly the sort of thing he'd love to be involved in, but you're going to have to send your request by snail mail, um, which was a bit unusual for us. Uh, but some of these people were just so generous with their time. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Biff Naked, who wrote a list of brilliant women uh, from BC. Uh, and she was just so eager to have something that really worked well for us. Um, and she did an amazing job of trying to pick a diverse group of women who may not otherwise get a lot of attention. Um, so I think in general, we were just blown away by what people offered to do for us. Um, yeah, Ashley McIver as well, uh, the Olympian, she was really gung-ho about uh, giving us a list of her favorite ski runs in BC. There's one of them over there at Sun Peaks. I think it was Suncatcher she was really uh, crazy about. And yeah, she was another one who just uh, jumped, jumped right in. I think she even reached out to Nancy Green for some help. It was, it was really cool. Uh, I'm joined right now with uh, Bethany Lindsay and Andrew Weichel, the authors of Everything British Columbia, The Ultimate Book of Lists. Um, I also wanted to ask a little bit more about some of these contributors because, you know, uh, I looked through some of the names here and I've actually had some of them on my show totally unrelated to this. Like I had Eve Lazarus on my show just a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. for Halloween and, uh, you know, she talked to me about some murders, but she helped to put together a list of 10 bizarre murders in B.C. Or or uh, Kat Jamie, who was, um, you know, she's a film director in B.C. and she helped talk about uh, bringing the Vancouver Grizzlies, 10 Reasons Why the Grizzlies Should be back in Vancouver. Um, did you guys ever run into any problems when it came to finding people to help contribute to some of these lists that you were trying to put together? Or was everything, you know, pretty easy to find someone who was maybe an expert in that subject that was able to, to help you, uh, you know, complete these lists that you guys were trying to put together? Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, there are a couple gaps in the book, some things that people always associate with BC, like marijuana, for example. And we were hoping to get someone to do a list of some of the history of BC's marijuana activism. Um, and, you know, without naming names or anything, you know, it's kind of hard to get people uh, locked down. So that didn't end up happening. There were, there were a couple topics that didn't quite pan out, and that's too bad. But, I mean, I guess plenty of content for a sequel. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no shortage. I mean, it's like a 180-page book. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot for people to dig through here. And, and I'm sure you guys probably could have put together a lot more lists if you, well, you wanted to continue putting in the time. Uh, Bethany, was there anything maybe for you specifically that you wanted to, to see in this book that didn't quite make it because maybe you weren't able to find all the information? Was there anything in particular that maybe you're disappointed didn't make the book? 
Well, one thing we really wanted to do was um, some BC-specific lingo, um, kind of words that only people in BC use. Um, and that was that was a bit hard to track down, and we don't really seem to have the uh, linguistic experts who who know a bit about words that BC people use. Um, but that list actually did turn into um, a list of Chinook jargon, which is pretty unique to the West Coast. Uh, the the language. Uh, or the pigeon type language that was used by by traders and First Nations up and down the West Coast. Um, words words like uh, skookumchuk that you may hear all the time. Uh, they originate from Chinook jargon. Interesting. Um, just I just want to kind of double back there on the the initial part of that. So you were saying you were trying to get together a list of of some unique BC jargon, and I'm I'm sort of new to the province. I moved here in the summer. Uh, can you give me any examples of some BC lingo that maybe is very unique to this province? I mean, if you didn't obviously get a chance to put the list together, so if you can't, I, uh, no hard feelings. But I just was curious uh, if you had anything off the top of your head. Well, you know, I I come from Ontario. I moved here 15 years ago, and what one thing that really shocked me when I first heard it. Um, is whereas in Ontario, we say giving someone the finger. Here, they say fingering someone, which uh, always comes across as a <laughs> bit more vulgar to me. Yes, yes, I uh, totally have that same opinion. I've, I haven't personally heard that yet, but now, that, now <laughs> I will know what they're referring to if I do hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the driver cut me off, so I fingered him. It just sounds weird. <laughs> yes, that definitely sounds weird. Um, for anyone who is interested in picking up this book, I guess, uh, what, what kind of message would you have for them? I mean, uh, you know, people, like I had mentioned off the top, I think it's a, a good way for people to learn maybe a little bit about more BC that, than they didn't know, um, you know, have a, a bit of a history lesson, if you will, from some of the things, or just, you know, find some interesting facts that you didn't know before. Um, but I mean, for those who might be interested in picking up this book, I guess, how, how would you go about selling it to them? Is there any specific message that you would have for people who, who want to pick up the ultimate book of lists? Well, honestly, Jeff, I think you nailed it. I mean, I see it as a really nice way to just sort of dip a toe into a little bit of BC history and culture. And, you know, hopefully it's sort of a gateway into picking up more books about BC, more thorough, <laughs> where they can explore some of these topics more thoroughly. But, yeah, a little bit of everything. I think it's a great beach read. Um, one of our reviewers said it was a great book to bring to the bathroom. Can't uh, argue with that. And, uh, again. Yeah, we all need a good bathroom reader for sure. So uh, definitely a good one to put in there and, and your guests can enjoy. And, it, you know, you only need to dig through a couple of pages to get through one list. So it's definitely something that doesn't need to be too, con too time consuming if you don't want it to be. Uh, well, thanks so much for joining me, guys. Is there anything else that you want to add here before I let you go? Well, uh, you can pick up the book at your local bookstore right now. Um, and it's also available at Indigo and Amazon. Perfect. Yeah, it's about 20 bucks, so not uh, nothing that'll break the bank. And like I said, we'll definitely uh, keep you entertained for quite some time. So, uh, Andrew, Bethany, thank you guys so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, yeah, getting your message out on the ultimate book of lists. I think it's a super interesting book and one that more people should pick up. So thanks so much for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Awesome. That was Bethany Lindsay and Andrew Weichel talking about their book, Everything British Columbia, The Ultimate Book of Lists. Coming up after the break, I'll be joined by Blazers play-by-play -play announcer John Keane to talk about a 3-0 long weekend, so stay tuned. 
your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show. I hope you all had a lovely long weekend and a chance to uh, enjoy Remembrance Day yesterday. Um, I know uh, the Blazers definitely had a chance to enjoy Remembrance Day yesterday with a big win over the rival Kelowna Rockets. Yes, it was uh, the game yesterday helped cap off a big 3-0 and weekend with wins over Seattle and Medicine Hat as well. And of course, here to help break things down is NL's very own John Keane. John, thanks so much for joining me. Good morning, Jeff. Uh, I know this uh, snow is kind of taking over the city here, but uh, kind of makes you feel a little bit more like hockey season, perhaps now. Exactly. I was just going to say the same thing. Um, so let me just start uh, by breaking down yesterday's, uh, you know, kind of the the, the sub sub story from yesterday's game. Kyril Sopotic, uh forced from the game yesterday uh, as a result of a hit from Rockets forward Pavel Novak. Kamloops uh, head coach Sean Clouston was on the NL Morning News today and says he's expecting Sopotic to be out in the neighborhood of two months as a result of a shoulder injury. I guess can can you break down what you saw yesterday uh, from this hit? I mean, it doesn't sound like something that was uh, very fun to watch. Uh, man, yeah, I don't know if I've seen a worse hit live in hockey. You know, you see replays and things uh, from around the hockey world, but to see that uh, happen, it was uh, it, it kind of shakes you because it just the, the violent nature of that hit. Uh, you know, Kyrell Sopatik is moving up the ice. Blazers are on the rush. A puck comes to him kind of off of a stick, and he's full speed going after it in the corner. And uh, Pavel Novak is in sort of a chase position, and uh, Novak gets kind of that cross-check arm extension out uh, into the back of uh, Sopatik, and he falls forward. And, and, and he was able to, at the last second, sort of turn his head so his, you know, like the shoulder takes the brunt of the force into the boards. He just had enough reaction to, to uh, you know, do it so he didn't go in kind of crown of head first uh, into the boards, which would have been devastating, devastating type situation there. And, um, you know, it's still an injury, uh, but, but perhaps considering, um, you know, what it could have been, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a bit fortunate here for Kyrell Sopatik to be only, you know, sitting here probably out, uh, you know, eight weeks or so or more with, uh, with an injury. Yeah, you never want to see anyone get hurt, but maybe that's a, a nice glass-half-full way to look at it. Um, in terms of what we can expect for a suspension, I mean, the, the coach, Clouston, is definitely expecting something to be handed down here for Novak. Um, do, you, do you have any ideas sort of what we could be looking at for something like this? Do you know what the precedent would be for, for this type of hit? Well, okay, there's a few things they're going to factor in here when they look at this hit. They're going to look at the nature of the hit. How bad was it? It looks really bad. The optics are awful. Second thing they'll weigh in is injury. Was there a player injury uh, in this situation? Yes, you have that. Uh, the third thing they'll weigh in is the player's history of doing this, which there is no history. He's a brand-new player to this league. Uh, all accounts I hear on the Rocket side, he's, he's a good kid, uh, and, and this was no intent. Uh, there. So those will be the three factors. Now, uh, Kevin Atchison is the WHL disciplinarian, and he took over for Richard Dirksen in this role two seasons ago, and I don't think there's been a hit like this come across his desk since he's been involved. Uh, the only comparable, and I was tweeting about this earlier today, a comparable that I can see as far as this situation would be about nine years ago uh, when Tri-City Americans forward Brendan Shinneman uh, hit uh, Saskatoon Blades player Josh Nichols into the end boards in a similar type looking play. Uh, Shinneman would be a skilled player, uh, not sure he had any sort of... Uh, 
uh, track record of, of doing that. Uh, and, and keep in mind, this was nine years ago, but Shinneman got 12 games for that hit. Uh, and, and I think that's a number that you have to consider. That would be uh, Asheson's uh, longest suspension uh, that he's dished out since uh, taking over the disciplinary role if it gets to 12. Uh, and I think you're probably looking at somewhere 8 to 10. Yeah, definitely. Uh, too bad that that's the storyline that we're talking about here today when, uh, you know, it obviously was a pretty great weekend overall for the Kamloops Blazers, but that sort of overshadows things a little bit. Um, so uh, looking back here, let's let's get to the positive here. So so um, three wins, like I said, on uh, Friday, Saturday and Monday, uh, six points in three games for Connor Zieri with five goals uh, coming uh, from that uh, four games in a row, scoring at least five goals for the team. Uh, they're now third in the league for uh, goals four as a team, I believe. So, John, I mean, just looking back to yesterday, um, you know, big successful weekend. Connor Zary is continuing to rip it up. This team is continuing to have success. Um, can you maybe just break down what we're seeing right now from this team? They just seem to be rolling. Yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun to watch, fun to be a part of. They they have enjoyed themselves, and they like scoring goals, and they like creating plays, and you can tell they have a lot of confidence in their game right now, Jeff. You know, they're making plays and doing things that, you know, maybe a team that's not scoring goals or maybe fragile that just don't make those plays. So they're finding ways to, to uh, strike in the power play. They're getting contributions from all their top guns. Uh, but for me, most impressively, is that they're hungry night after night. Sometimes, you know, a phrase we used last night is it's tough to be hungry when you're always full. And uh, for the Blazer top players, you know, Connor Zary's up to 30 points, but he's hungry every shift. Zane Franklin, same thing. The Orenson Tazza, Ryan Hughes, uh, go up and down the, the, the list that these guys aren't satisfied. And it's easy to get complacent when things are rolling. And, you know, they've been able to string together. You mentioned all those goals and four straight wins. And now on top of the BC division, starting to get a little bit of separation here from other teams. Uh, and the fact that they've done it on the road and they've come back and carried that back here on home ice, it's, uh, it's, it's a good sign right now. Uh, I want to look back at one thing you had put out yesterday. So John uh, here with Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane, you put out a tweet yesterday that said, you know, you believe the Blazers might be getting a, a bit of a fire under them as a result of not winning the Memorial Cup bid, especially when we're talking about games against Kelowna, who, of course, the Rockets did land the Memorial Cup. Uh, but as it stands, you know, almost 20 games into the year, it looks like Kamloops is the much better team right now. Of course, a lot of season left to play, but they are making the case that maybe the Canadian Hockey League made the wrong choice by giving Kelowna the Memorial Cup when Kamloops would clearly, at this stage of the game, be the more competitive team. Uh, can I just get your analysis of sort of why you decided to put that out there? I mean, kind of what, what are you seeing when it comes to, the, to these two teams? And, and uh, you know, maybe are, do you think that the Blazers are feeling a little bit shafted as a result of not getting the Mem Cup? Well, I think the community feels shafted, honestly, you know, going back to it. Uh, and, and that was tough. You know, the, the WHL Board of Governors uh, met collectively uh, in a vote, and it, it was close, but uh, Kelowna won out. And, uh, and of course, you, you look at what Kelowna's done in the past, and definitely, most recently, they've been a team that's represented the WHL at the Memorial Cup. They hosted a successful event in 2004. Uh, they have all of the pedigree, I guess you could say, to host this event. And, and I think that's why they want it. They want it on pedigree. When you look at where the Blazers are at hockey-wise, right now as compared to where the Kelowna Rockets are right now. Now, my question is, if Kelowna you know, doesn't win the Memorial Cup, is this a year where they sell off? Because it, it's kind of in that situation here. They will add, and they will add three, four players 
minimum before the trade deadline, and they'll pay a heavy price for that. But when you look at where the Blazers are at, now the hindsight's twenty twenty, so I have to reference that here too. But when you have the start you have, you have the roster you have right now, plus you have a army of draft assets uh, in the back pocket, which uh, Matt Barsley has acquired since being here. Uh, the Blazers are just on paper in a better situation to be hosting. That's not the situation, though. And I guess they can take, you know, the fact that they want to kick the front door open then, right? I mean, instead of having the back door entry, uh, as a host team does, uh, you can try to kick in that door and, and go right through it and, and be the, the team that represents the WHL. Now, that's fully within their, their realm here still to try and do. Um, but, yeah, when you look at where Kelowna's at and the fact they're below 500, when you factor in overtime losses, you know, a case could be made that uh, – the Blazers are in a, in a much better spot. Well, John, that wraps things up for us here. But as always, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, yeah, another great week for the Blazers. So thanks for helping to break it down. Okay, Jeff, always good to talk to you here. Thanks a lot. All right, that was Blazers play-by-play announcer John Keane. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow morning. At nine.